You've heard of matchmakers before, people that connect two strangers that may turn into a long-term relationship. But have you ever heard of a marketing matchmaker? Today on the Marketing Chief Podcast, I'm going to introduce you to one as we welcome Joe Kaufman, the CEO and founder of Setup, an innovative company that connects brands with marketing agencies. Stay tuned to find out how it all comes together on this week's edition of the Marketing Chief Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Chief Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Collins. If you'd like to watch this podcast and not just listen to it, head over to our website at marketingchiefpodcast.com and click on the episodes tab or search for us on YouTube. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Joe Kaufman, who I can only say is one of the most influential marketers in Atlanta. I don't know how to describe his background because it's dot com, it's digital, it's agency, it's entrepreneur. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Rob. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. You're, you're like a Swiss Army knife of all things marketing, and you have so many tools in your toolkit, so to speak. Um, talk to us just a little bit about your foundation coming up through marketing. I want to spend a lot of time on, on your company because I think that's a really interesting concept. But but give, give us a little bit of a background. Yeah, well, I had a very classic marketing background. I mean, I was a politics and speech communications I did, double I did major. Not, I did not know that. At a, okay. At a small undergraduate university in, in, in North Carolina called Wake Forest. I really had no idea that marketing and business development would be my future. Mm -hmm. I remember graduating from college and I called my, the, the smartest guy I knew was my first cousin, Greg. And Greg is an undergraduate at Cornell University and then an MBA at Harvard. So oh, this wow. is a really smart guy. He also is fluent in seven languages. And when yeah. I mean, when I say fluent, I mean fluent, <laughs> including Mandarin and Japanese and some tough languages. But um, so they're I all, called They're Greg all tough to said, me, my friend. They're oh, all yeah. tough to I mean, me. <laughs> even English is tough for me. Yeah. But, uh, but, but uh, so I called Greg and I said, you know, hey, Greg, what do you think I should do with my life? And he, Greg said, I think sales and marketing, you know, you know, marketing, you, you know, mm -hmm. you have the right temperament and personality and intellect. And I was like, that's great, Greg. What is marketing and sales? I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. I really envy these students that come out of school with a marketing degree or with, mm -hmm. you know, uh, even better digital marketing degree these days. Right. But, you know, he, he sort of guided me into what that was. And, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life but I was working part-time at, at a retail store in the mall my senior year of college. And I went on a spring break trip to New Orleans to that's, volunteer. That's a, a, that is, yeah, to volunteer. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not buying well, spring break in New Orleans to volunteer, but okay. We, so continue. senior year, <laughs> it was I think eight or nine of us in a van. We drove it down to New Orleans. And Sounds we like would a volunteer, volunteer by day. Yeah, I mean, we would volunteer by day and then go out having fun, eating and mm -hmm. drinking and you know having fun at night. But while I was there, I said, I'm gonna live here when I graduate, which I was graduating okay. in three or four months. So this was okay. not like a way down the road. Um, so I graduated college and I said to my boss at, at, at the, the retail store in the mall, hey, I really wanna move to New Orleans when I graduate. Any chance I could get an assistant manager job down there in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And she said, yeah, let me let me make some phone calls. And, and so I was a manager in training. And then I, I went down to New Orleans and I was an assistant manager at the Abercrombie and Fitch in okay. New Orleans. Okay. And I spent two years there and then was recruited by Eddie Bauer to do the same kind of job. 
And it turned out that they needed a, a store manager for their store in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Okay. So I, wow. Eddie, ba after four years in New Orleans, Eddie Bauer moved me to Jackson Hole and I proceeded to run the store there. And I did a, a radio show on Sunday nights for fun. It was uh, the Big Easy Cabaret Show with Joe, all your favorite New Orleans and Louisiana music here on 96.9 KMTN, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So, so I did that for about a year and a half and, you know, I, I loved it in Jackson Hole, but I knew I didn't want to get stuck there out West because I was, you know, from the East, grew up in North Carolina. And so um, eventually they, they said, hey, there's this really important gig running the Eddie Bauer in Lenox Square Mall in Atlanta, which is the largest mall in the Southeast. And it was the mm -hmm. highest volume Eddie Bauer in the Southeast at the time. And so they moved me to Atlanta and, um, you know, I did one holiday season there and just decided that I needed to get away from retail forever. Sure. Uh, so, so I went to work for a, a, a dot com because at the time, you know, dot coms were all the rage. We were going to all be millionaires within six months or something. Um, and I ended up spending eight years there, which is a really long time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I um, dealt with the dot bomb, you know, where, where, mm -hmm. where all the dot coms were sort of imploding and you, you may remember, remember pets.com and all of these, oh, yeah, absolutely. but, um, our company was called knowledge storm okay. and our biggest competitor was called tech target and they went public and raised 130 million in their IPO wow. and then bought knowledge storm for $58 million. And, um, you know, I had some stock options, which was really cool. Yeah. Uh, and I made a little money. Um, the challenge is that the only money I made was enough to buy a laptop that, <laughs> you know, right now the laptops that you and I are, are talking on are 20 times more powerful than that laptop. But, yeah. but I did, you know, I gained a lot of great experience, a lot of great relationships from those eight years. And, um, and then I had, you know, a couple of job offers, but I went to work for a really small digital shop in Atlanta called, called Spun Logic. Mm -hmm. that soon became part of a larger full service agency called Engage. Right. And uh, we were about 250 people. And I spent uh, six years there um, helping the agency grow. And we sold to Publicis Group, the massive holding company mm -hmm. in 2013. Uh, we were about, we were 42, 43 million in revenue when we sold. Um, and, and I'd say a, a bulk of that revenue came from relationships that I had brought into the agency. Okay. Um, so I worked for the, the acquiring company was, was Publicis Group, the, the holding mm -hmm. company, but then we merged with Moxie, which was a pretty large agency here in Atlanta. And I spent four or five months at Moxie and it just became clear that while it was a great agency, it just wasn't the same place that I had joined six years earlier. Sure. So I, I, um, I ended up making the decision to leave and I had a lot of friends that wanted me to start an, an agency, but it became clear to me that I didn't really love the executional work. I didn't really want to build websites or create content or video or, or, or TV or radio or anything like that. I really loved the matchmaking. Um, in fact, there were three couples that later married as a result of me connecting them with each other. <laughs> so it always been in my, you know, kind of a passion of mine and in my blood. And um, 
So I ended up starting what is now set up uh, about seven and a half years ago in, in February of 2014. So be before we get into setup, because I, it's a phenomenal story and it's a really great business model from what I understand and I wanna hear more about that. But talk to me about the types of roles you were doing when you were at the dot-com and then when you went to an agency. I mean, here's a guy who has a political science major in retail experience. How did, how? Where did the transition of marketing come in? Yeah, well, first the transition from retail to the dot-com, they were looking for people with interpersonal skills mm -hmm. because they felt that it was easier to teach somebody with good interpersonal skills technology than it was to teach a geek how to have interpersonal skills. <laughs> uh, with, so, with apologies so to all of our... Geek hey, audience. I love geeks. No, I do geek, too. Geeks, geeks are some of my favorite people, but, but the reality is, you know, um, that they were looking for people with those interpersonal skills. And so my role there for the first three years was as an account manager. And so my okay. job was really to help deliver the pro on the promises that we were making to the clients, which were big software companies mostly. Mm -hmm. We were a software directory, basically, people paid. Uh, uh, software companies paid us to list in our directory. Okay. And then we generated leads for them when somebody would inquire about a company like Oracle or, um, right. or computer associates, they inquire about their piece of content and we would capture that person as a lead and deliver it to the software company. Sure. But so after three years of business of, uh, of, of account management, what I realized was that I really loved sales and, and and i thought i could be pretty good at it and so i talked to my boss about hey hey, could i make that transition to more of a business development and, and sales role mm -hmm. and i you know they said sure and, and and so i ended up being really successful for the next five years doing that and the reason i think i was so successful a couple reasons one because i'd spent the three years as an account manager i really understood how the expectations I was setting with a potential client or, or, or a new client, mm -hmm. how those would be delivered. Um, and so I set really good quality expectations. Yeah, because Secondly, it was your neck on the line if they weren't delivered. Yeah, And you, and you yeah. feel that personal responsibility. Yeah, and also because I was on the receiving end of having to deliver on those expectations, mm -hmm. it made me more conscious of what we really could deliver and couldn't deliver reasonably. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other piece was I really um, felt uh, I, I was always a challenger. Uh, there's a book, The Challenger Sale by uh, Dixon and Adamson that I love. And, and I didn't read it until many years later. But the, the point of the book is that the challenger, rather than just looking for harmony in a relationship, like a relationship builder, a challenger is looking for tension in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of pushing the client and they're sort of needling them a little bit and try. And what I found was that um, clients were much more, um, they appreciated the fact that I'd thought about their business, that I was mm -hmm. bringing them insights and that I was pushing them and not just taking orders from them. So that was, you know, you asked about what were the, the roles and what were the skills. I mean, to me, uh, being a challenger and being genuinely curious about their businesses and sort of pushing the 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 the, the established norms that they were going about their day to day 
helped me be really successful in the role. And, um, and then, you know, when I left there and went to work for a small agency, I had to have a whole nother education because the transition from a product company where we were selling a number of leads to mm -hmm. a software company to a services business, particularly an agency business where we were, you know, the question, instead of asking the question, how many do you want? We were asking the question, well, what, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, how yeah. can we help you accomplish your, your marketing goals? And the, that challenger philosophy really helped because um, I, you know, it, it's still that curiosity and pushing the client was, was still very much in effect, but, but I had to learn a, a services business instead of a product based mm -hmm. business. And that transition was very rocky. Uh, I, I, you know, almost got fired, I should say, you know, before gonna, I really, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, I know, I know and, a little bit of that story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, and I almost got fired because I just didn't know how to do my job yet. And then mm -hmm. once I really learned how to do my job, I really thrived and succeeded. Um, but, but that curiosity, you know, at, at my current company setup, we're very um, purpose driven and values focused. Mm -hmm. um, our values are curious, honorable, resourceful, insightful, tenacious, and connected. Hmm. Um, I like that. Those were values that drove me before I even started the company, and they continue to drive us now as a company. Um, but that curiosity and the tenacity were are some of the some of the values, for example, that I think make a really good marketer. Um, so we can talk more about that too. I, I love this kind of um, challenger aspect that you talk about. I think there are times when people on the biz dev side or the agency side challenge from a perspective of, I know your business better, you need to do this. Mm. But what I love about what you said is you've combined it with curiosity and asking questions and uncovering insights so that you're, you said it earlier, I knew their business so then I can, I can, I then can challenge them. Now I have a, a bit of a platform to stand on to say, hey, I, I understand this, but what about this? Have you thought about this? Um, I, I love that that mix makes a huge difference on how the client would receive it, I would guess. Yeah, and, and I think the old way of helping clients was solution selling, mm -hmm. where you come in and you ask 25 questions and you wait to hear the answers and then you build a custom solution based on the answers that they give you to the questions. And the problem with that, and the reason why I think challenge, the challenger approach is sort of the next wave of, of, of you know, philosophy or approach, is that first of all, we, we have this thing called the internet now where we can learn, we may be able to answer 15 of those 20 questions without even asking them by just mm -hmm. doing some research and digging, right? And, and then secondly, there's something really powerful about going to the client with insights, mm -hmm. you know, insights that are either gathered from experience, you know, in the, in the business or that are gathered from research, you know, under just learning and, and, and curiosity, that curiosity we talked about. And I think that the clients really appreciate, you know, you might be friends with your sales rep, but you may never buy anything from them. 
and, and they may never deliver any value, you know, um, in terms of, you know, if they're order takers, they certainly don't deliver value other than right. getting you the thing that you already know you want. But, but the idea of really pushing and, and challenging and being curious and being humble, you know, you, you can't go mm -hmm. in with, with, um, with the, um, you know, perspective that you know it all or that you, you know, know better than they do about their business. I never presume that we know something better than, than the client does in their business, but maybe we bring some insight from another client that we work on or another industry that we work on or another project that we worked on in the past or something like that. And to me, that's why one of the reasons that a client would hire an agency is to either fill a capacity issue where they don't mm -hmm. have enough bodies to do the work that they need to get done, particularly as we are exiting the, the COVID, hopefully exiting mm -hmm. the COVID phase of, of our lives. Um, you know, marketing teams are leaner than they ever were, and it's harder to recruit great people than it was before. And so sometimes leaning on an agency to fill that capacity gap is, is something that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece is there's sometimes a capability gap where our team is really good at these five things or 10 things, but we don't, we're not good at this other thing. And we would lean on an agency to fill that gap. And so many times clients are so concerned, and I can say this because I was one, right, uh, about daily sales numbers, whether it's, you know, tickets or turnstile accounts or whatever it is having an agency partner come in and say, Hey, we've done this research. Here's, here's, here's the competitive set. Here's what's going on. It's not always so much rocket science as it is. Your internal team doesn't have time to think about it. Like yeah. you're, so you're just driving, 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 driving. And it's the next thing, it's the next thing, it's the next thing. And you are strapped for resources. So you can't spend the time needed to take a step back and think. And so having a partner, like that is extremely helpful. Yeah, I think to your point, uh, marketers are often stuck in the weeds of the day to day. Mm -hmm. And it can be hard to zoom out, you know, to think about larger strategy. And then there's also just, you know, to your point, the executional piece, where I might be focused on the big picture and the strategy, but how am I going to get it all done? I got a list of 25 things that I'm trying mm -hmm. to accomplish, but I only have the resources in house to do five of them. Right. So how do I get the other 20 done? So so let's talk, let's transition into setup. You know, we call Joe the Tinder of Atlanta. No, no, more more <laughs> eHarmony or match.com. <laughs> okay, okay. Tinder is very transactional and we're not, uh, so, we're not transactional. Okay, so, so we, we call Joe the matchmaker of Atlanta. Uh, talk to us about how you came up with this idea, where you saw the hole in the marketplace, and really what you do now and, and how it works for a client or for an agency. Yeah. So at the very beginning, there were two couple of things that were happening at the same time when I knew I wanted to leave the last agency that I worked for. One was uh, I had a good friend who was a client at a, at a big, actually a former employer of yours that, that, that is a big TV network and, 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 and <laughs> there was, and there was a division, there was a division um, focused on kids sure. and, and, and they said, Hey, the, the, my, my friend said, Hey, can you recommend a mobile agency to help us build mobile apps and mobile mm -hmm. experiences 
for kids and their parents. And, and actually they had an agency in mind. They said, what do you think about that agency? And I said, you know, that agency is a great agency, but mobile's not really their thing. Mm -hmm. There's some others that I might recommend instead. So that was happening at the same time when I sort of announced I was leaving the last agency, I immediately had six job offers and they were mostly from agencies that said, we want you to do what you did for engage, but do it for us. Mm -hmm. And so those two things were spinning in my mind was that there's multiple agencies that need help with business development and there are multiple clients that just don't know where to turn to find the right agency support. And so those were the two things I was thinking about when I said, you know, and I love matchmaking because I already told you that you know, there are mm -hmm. three couples that married as a result of me connecting them. So, so I said, you know, what if I work with multiple agencies that have different kinds of expertise or disciplines, and I focus on helping clients that are struggling to find the right agencies to fill those gaps that I just mentioned in capacity or capability. Sure. And, and originally the model was, I only had one agency of each discipline. And if a client came to us and said, hey, I need help with social media, well, here's your social media agency, or mm -hmm. I need help with PR, here's your PR firm. Um, what I learned, what I found over time that caused me to shift a little bit in the model was that, you know, there are two, when a client hires an agency there are two parts of the decision. One part is, is this agency really capable of doing the work that I need them to do, mm -hmm. right? Are they capable? But the other side is, are they, is there chemistry? Do I like them? Um, do I want to work with them? So I'm so with you on that. So I used to think it was 50-50 capability chemistry. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know, I think it's 35 or 40% capability and 60 or 65 percent chemistry it's even you know chemistry is even more important than than capability mm -hmm. in some some aspects so the shift for us in model was when we would work now what we do is we work with the client to help write a brief you know what let's let's clearly define the problem what are the issues that you're trying to solve that you feel maybe a marketing agency of some kind could could help solve that problem mm -hmm. Once we've gotten agreement on the problem and the brief, then we can look across a portfolio of agencies that we've pre-vetted. We've already put through a pretty rigorous vetting process up front mm -hmm. to see if any of them are a perfect fit to solve that exact problem. And if the answer is yes, particularly if it's an answer is yes for right. several of them, two or three of them or four of them, then we'll often make introductions to the client to three or four different agencies that all are capable. But the reason we do it is that we just don't know which one's going to click perfectly with that client. Right. So we're putting the, the control into the client's, you know, court in terms of deciding which agency might be a good fit for them. Because you probably remember this when you were on the client side, Rob, that, you know, often when you're seeking a new agency or agency support it's like let's ask around ask ask the people sure. on your team who you've right. worked with in the past or or ask a buddy that's at another company you know who have you worked with who's good and the problem with that approach is that your universe is pretty limited you know in terms of understanding all of the potential solutions and and you may not know about a great agency that just 
one of your colleagues never worked with. Mm -hmm. Also, agencies change a lot over time. I mean, you know, they're, it's a relatively fluid workforce, as you know, you know from your, your current gig, that, you know, there's a lot of turnover at agencies. And so an agency that may have been great for you three or four years ago might not be so good for you now in this role. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You hit on a couple of points, which I, I fully embrace. And one would be the chemistry piece. I, I remember when I was uh, VP of advertising at Paramount Theme Parks, and we had $17, $20 million ad budget, and we were doing an agency search. And we asked the agency clients to not present creative. Well, actually, I said, you can at your own risk, because I didn't want to make a decision based on a creative piece. I wanted to make a decision based on how you think, what your strategy is, how you can approach the problem, chemistry of the team. And I can tell you there was, I can tell you the name of the agency, I can tell you where they were. They presented an advertising concept that was spot on. Hmm. It was it was amazing. I loved it. I could, again, I could recite the whole spot to you right now, and that's been 20 years. Wow. It was so good. But the chemistry with the team was not there. It just wasn't there. And we, we ended up picking an agency that we, that didn't present creative, but we we liked their approach to business. And we like creative they'd done for other people, right? Because you could hit or miss on a, on a pitch. So I, I love that you think through that piece because it's so important. How is it different though than a lot of clients will hire an agency consultant who will do the search for them and they'll go out. How is it different how, how you partner with agencies? What, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, the short answer to your question is actually we do some agency, we call it custom agency search consulting. Um, And and I'll talk about the scenarios in which we'll do that versus what we call our in-network search, which is Mm -hmm. sort of our everyday thing. Um, The the short answer to your question is usually the, the, the need that the client has is to fill a gap. It's not usually a agency of record search where I'm looking for an agency to do everything for me, you know, on a massive scale. Mm -hmm. And we found that those RFP, RFI request for information, and then RFP request for proposal processes are burdensome. It's like Mm -hmm. a full-time job on top of your day job. So much. Very, yeah. And because of that, we found that it is often a better process to just write the brief and then evaluate a handful of agencies that have been well vetted and that already we know are are a good fit. Um, Sometimes that that process doesn't result in, you know, maybe you have no chemistry with any of the three or four agencies we send. And if that's the case, you can keep looking. There's no obligation. But we've found that a lot of times you can find a good fit within that group. Now, if you were looking for something bigger, you know, uh, we helped a retailer um, with a full, we call it, you know, custom agency search. Mm-hmm. We, 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 they were looking for, to replace uh, their media planning and buying agency. Their budget is 25 million in media spend. Mm-hmm. They were working with like the third or fourth largest media planning and buying agency in the world. 
And what they were realizing was number one, this agency is not really as digitally focused as we would like. And they're a small client in a big pond. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they yeah. were they were working with this massive global agency yeah. and they were spending 25 million in media, which sounds like a ton of money, but you know, when you compare it to the Coca-Colas or the Ford Motor Companies or you know, it's like not, like right. the big, big 25 million is a drop in the bucket. And mm -hmm. so they might have been the 37th most important client for this agency in their roster, which meant that this agency was giving them the B or C team. And mm -hmm. you know, maybe the younger, less experienced staff that rather than the, the strategy people that really, you know, would have given them the high level thinking that they were looking for. So they they realized they wanted to hire a smaller agency where they could have more personal attention and and, and get, you know, um, more responsive client service, better strategic thinking, et cetera. They wanted to be able a medium-sized fish in the pond instead of a tiny fish in a giant ocean for this right. big media planning and buying agency. So with this process, they hired us, the client paid us mm -hmm. um, a, a fee to run the process for them. And so we started by interviewing all the key stakeholders to make sure we really understood what they needed and what mm -hmm. they were looking for. And then we built a profile of the perfect agency. What are the must haves for the agency to be the best fit for them? What are the nice to haves? Mm -hmm. And then we started building a list and we started with, I think, 105 or 110 agencies. Wow. And we also knew in this case that they had some other must haves, like they didn't want an agency on the West Coast because they didn't want to deal with time zone differences. Sure. So we looked at 105 or 110 agencies in Central and Eastern time zones, right? Mm -hmm that looked like they fit the bill. They were focused on media planning and buying. Um, we then looked to see, did they have any clients that sort of looked like this client, retail or target, similar target customer? And we narrowed it down to, I think, 25 or so. And then we issued RFI questions, request for information questions mm -hmm. to the 25. And when I say simple questions, there were like five questions and they were questions that the agency could answer in an hour or less, not days, like literally, right. you know, like an, yeah. uh, tell me about what clients you have that are similar to this client. Tell me about, you know, your approach for media planning and buying and, or, mm -hmm. or how digital are you, you know, something like that. So we asked these simple questions and we narrowed it down to 12 or 11 or 12. And then we issued some RFP questions to the 12 which were much more extensive. We are asking the agencies to think a little bit about the client's business. Mm -hmm. and, and then we use that, those responses to narrow down to the top four. The top four pitched the client, uh, came to their office and did the whole dog and pony show. And you know, we at Setup sat through those pitches and helped them think, the CMO oh, and right. the director of marketing, think through which one was the right fit for them. Um, now we are paid by agencies to connect with potential clients. That's part of our model. Okay. So in order to not have any conflict of interest, we were extremely transparent with the client to say, here is a list of agencies that pay us. We can mm -hmm. either exclude them from this process on purpose, you know, just don't even include them, or maybe we can include a couple if we think they're a really good fit and you decide. And, and the client ultimately said, we 
trust that you're going to be unbiased and we it's fine to include a couple. Now, of all the agencies we work with, I think two or three made that top 25. I think only one made the top 11 or 12 mm -hmm. and zero actually made the final four. So, uh, but it was good for them in that they were introduced to this client right. and the client introduced to them, even though it didn't work out for this particular opportunity, who knows down the road, but also um, the process resulted in us helping them choose a really amazing agency that we, frankly, we had never heard of at setup before the process began. I love the transparency piece, you know, as, as a client, I, I could be skeptical, very skeptical on those types of things. I love the transparency. And then you just kind of at that point are being a neutral, objective party, using your expertise on I'm hearing you on this is your business issue. And these are the these are the agencies that can meet that. I, I love that. That's a really it's a great model, Joe. I really thank you. Know, yeah. Well, and, and, and so, you know, our process now, instead of in advance determining whether they need a custom agency search process or, or in network search, we don't have to decide that up front. A lot of mm -hmm. times what we do is we will write the brief. We'll work with the client to write the brief. And if we look at the brief and say, you know what, we've got some agencies that are perfect for that exact thing. Great. We'll make some introductions and get out of the way. Right. Mm -hmm. And, Quick, easy process. If so we then, look at that, then, point, then at that point, you're not you're not vetting the the agency for the client because you've already done that. You're just making we did it up front, right, right? Right. Okay. Right. Right. We call it our agency assessment process, and we've already done it before the agency was even working with us. And, and that you know that that's that's where the agency pays us a monthly retainer to connect with potential clients. Sure. So, so it doesn't cost the client anything if they come to us. We write the brief and we determine we've got an aid some agencies that are a great fit we will make the introductions and that's that and then get so, out of the way okay out of the way. if if we write the brief and realize crap this is a bigger deeper process yeah. than just yeah. us making a couple of introductions then fine you know the client can choose to hire us to do a full agency search where we consider a universe of agencies um across the country usually mm -hmm. Um, but it's been fun for us. We get giddy about the idea of helping the client find what it is they're looking for. And, yeah. and, and, and the, you know, the matchmaking part of it is the exciting part for my team. Um, so we do that in a lot of other ways beyond just agency client um, relationship. But the, the matchmaking part of our business, I mean, when we say set up we're marketing matchmakers. That's our tagline for a reason that, that that can mean a lot of different things. We had much more to talk about with Joe. So join us next week as we continue the conversation and learn what makes a good client agency relationship. And Joe shares a pivotal moment in his career when he almost got fired. Learn more about his company setup and how these marketing matchmakers connect brands with qualified marketing agencies by visiting setup.us. As you explore their website, click on the resources tab and you'll find a treasure trove of free marketing documents for download. That's all found on setup.us. If you like what you hear on the Marketing Chief Podcast, be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app or YouTube and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for part two of our conversation with Joe Kaufman. We'll see you next time on the Marketing Chief Podcast.